Um, I'd like to start today by acknowledging that we need on the lands of the Ngunnawal people and to pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the land from which we're meeting here today and to any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people with us. And I'd like to um, endorse our ongoing commitment to learning from the land and each other and draw your attention to the beautifully illustrated illustration of Manya the butterfly, and that was drawn by Eleanor. And Eleanor was at Lincoln Preschool when she drew that picture. And Eleanor's picture here, lovely. Yeah. Manja is a story, and another story, about a young Aboriginal girl who has changed into a butterfly so that she could avoid marrying the evil Gunja. He possessed great powers and would always prevent her from marrying the boy that she loved. With the help of Naja, the good spirit butterfly, Manja was able to remain near her family and her country forever as a beautiful butterfly. This story is captured in Nunnawal Elder Don Bell's retelling, um, and I'm sure that most preschools have got this book, and if you don't, you can help you with that one. So the title of today's professional learning event, Spreading Our Wings, Transforming Early Childhood Practice in ACT Public Preschools, really got me thinking about transformation. In business terms, transformation is a process of profound and radical change that orients an organisation in a new direction and takes it to a new level of effectiveness. That's a bit of an inspiration for us, an aspiration, is certainly a challenge. It is widely recognised that what you do each and every day is the most significant factor outside the home for children achieving high quality learning and developmental outcomes. Bringing our work with children and families to a new level of effectiveness requires a commitment to ongoing reflection and research. One of the most powerful truths that we can offer children is the understanding that we're all still learning, which is why you're here today. So everybody has their little gift, the little pinch pot that you got at the beginning. These small clay pinch pots were created especially for you by the children from Lions Early Childhood School and Nathan Preschool. I'm going to say a heartfelt thanks and certainly give my admiration to those teachers, to Sharon Craft, the Deputy Principal at Lyon Early Charter School, who's also the co-director of Play Studio Canberra, and Evan Gilson, teacher at Lakeland Principal, for their collaboration, bringing together more than 100 preschoolers at the end of a busy year to create these special gifts. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I do preschool at lunchtime. I could not ever do 100 preschoolers doing play work, so really treasure those. And I urge you to use these pinch pots as a visible reminder that children are creative and resourceful young learners, and also for you to reflect on your learning and your wonderings from today. And as a prompt to ask yourself, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? And how will you know when you succeed? 
and I hope that these answers, the quests, sorry, the answers to the questions will guide you to pay attention to what really matters in strengthening children's belonging, being and becoming in the knowledge that we have all got in this room. Now, I encourage you to be fully present today, to be inspired, to connect with colleagues and to be open to the challenges and the rewards of transformation. So, a little bit of housekeeping. Thank you for those people who move. It's really good to be with people that you don't know so that you can be able to share your ideas. We will be recording this presentation today as a podcast, so you will be able to revisit it. We'll send you the link for that later. And any colleagues today who couldn't come today or tomorrow morning will be able to share in our learnings. Remember to sign up for TQI. Make sure you have your reading pack. And if you don't have one, you want to pop your hand up and we can get that to you. Um, toilets are at the back. Emergency meeting is at the Oval. Um, please switch your phones to silent or even turn them off. Uh, we'll be having a break at 2 o'clock. We've got a whole lot of exhibitors that we'd love to share with you at that time. Um, but we will ask you to keep that time to half an hour. Natalie's here with us today, Natalie Hassan, our Director General, and she, I know, is delighted to be here and thought that this was a wonderful way to start the year. So, Natalie, would you like to come up and have a good day? Can you all hear me? Up the back? Yeah? So I don't need the microphone? Just a podcast, Jim. Do you want this one? Okay, that's probably a good idea. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a lovely break and that you're feeling as energised as I am. I just had. Um, for the first time ever, 10 consecutive days down at the beach, and uh, oh, it was just wonderful. So I'd like to thank you, Kate, for your acknowledgement to country, and I'd like to add my respect to our traditional custodians and other more people and extend that same respect to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander colleagues. Uh, when I'm at the coast, particularly at the coast, I, um, I often reflect and contemplate just how beautiful this country is, and I immediately think about how grateful I am for the stewardship that our Indigenous peoples have uh, extended to this beautiful, beautiful country. And it gives me a lot of energy. I don't know what gives you energy, but just being in nature is a wonderful thing. It is really good to see you, and the vibe in the room is wonderful, and it is a great start to the year. Um, it's a symbolic start to the year. I think that this is the first formal event that I participate in. 2019, school in 2019. You know, I think about, when I think about my experience in early childhood, there's a lot of things about my primary years that I just don't remember at all. But can you believe it? I actually really very vividly remember my experiences in preschool or kindergarten, I don't know what it was called at the time when I was in New South Wales. It was the first time as a child that I had this overwhelming sense of feeling respected. And I've carried that with me through my whole life. I didn't get that feeling again in my schooling life until I was in my semi-second years. So I've carried that. And I have this wonderful, in my mind's eye, vision of this beautiful little place that I used to go to. And it just seemed to be made for me. It was all about me. And that's what I remember. So um, there's so much uh, 
genuine, sincere um, gratitude. So that's the sort of thing that you do every day in the work that you do. And that is so valued. And just imagine, I hope you think about that from time to time when you're looking at your little clay pot and you're thinking about, will this person, when this person is 56, will they remember some of the days that they spent with me? And what is it about those days that they'll take with them? I think that was one of the best gifts that I've ever given. And it is really good to see you also because what you do gives meaning to everything that we do in this organisation. Without our educators here, it's quieter. It's easier, actually. <laughs> um, without our students here, it's certainly like the hospital without patients. Um, but it doesn't actually mean anything until you're all back and you're back looking after those little people. It's also a great way to start 2019. And Catherine, welcome to you. Thank you. I know you'll be introduced properly in a moment, but we were just having a conversation with this actually 2019 marks the 10th anniversary of the Early Years Learning Framework. Um, it's also a really important year, symbolic year for us, because um, this is going to be the year where the future of education strategy starts to articulate its vision for early childhood uh, education. And um, you would have already heard, I hope, that the government here in the ACT has made a commitment to introduce uh, universal access to three-year-old preschool. And that will commence uh, in a graduated and phased way from January 2020. And that means that this year for us is going to be a hellishly exciting year as we work our way through what that looks like and the sorts of models and the approach that we'll take uh, within our government and non-government sector uh, in relation to the introduction of universal preschool. Uh, we also hope that the federal government in time will see how important these issues are and join us on this journey. But let me make the point it's not contingent on any decision that the federal government makes. The ACT government is heading in this direction. Um, and it's probably for those of you that have been in the profession for a long time, uh, we'll appreciate just how important this next step is. When I took on this job, Andrew Barr said to me, you know, we haven't actually, I, haven't, I don't think we've seen any real innovation in the ACT education system, real innovation since the introduction of college, the college system. We're still the only jurisdiction in Australia that has that feature um, universal in our public education system. He said, I wonder what the next one will be. I saw him just before Christmas and I said, do you know that question you asked me? I have the answer. The answer is the introduction of three-year-old preschool, universal access to three-year-old preschool. This will be the next step change, the next layer of innovation in our education system. It's an important part of the future of education in the ACT. And you all know why. And many, many more people are starting to understand and appreciate why. Just how important the investment in the early years is. Making that sort of step change, we're going to be asking more from you. We're hoping that you'll be excited to get in and really participate in what this is all about. 
Um, and there's aspects, again, of the future of education strategy that are really relevant. If you haven't referred to it yet, I really encourage you to pull it up and have a look at it. You'll find it in your, um, in your index and uh, available online. But I particularly draw your attention to the foundations of that strategy which talk about communities for learning. And let me tell you that is not about community schools. It isn't about schools being a place where a whole lot of other service providers congregate. It's actually about a col collaborative, um, uh, united approach to delivering all of the things that children need to get the best start in life. It's about us as educators creating some space for other professionals to team up with us to articulate what we have to offer to children and their families in order to set them up for the best start in life. Now you guys are uh, really well placed because everything about the education experience of a child, in a, in a sense, is established by their experience with you, in my view. The way in which children experience preschool will have an impact on their whole school career, their education and learning for life orientation. Furthermore, so will their parents. Now, their parents come to you with so many aspirations for their children, but I think they also come with aspirations around their own parenthood. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but before I joined education, I was the head of community services, the territory parent. And I know for a fact there's not one parent that lost their child to the state that didn't, at their core, love their child. Many of them just didn't know how to do that job properly, to be a parent, a good parent. They love the child. So they come, I think, when kids start school, at the, it's that benchmark moment for parents where they really feel like this is when they're going to get it right and they're going to do everything they possibly can to make sure that their child has a better life than they have. And that burden, if you like, that responsibility sits with you and I know you appreciate that. So when we think about communities for learning, it's about the children and it's about their families and there's a whole lot of interesting ideas that the introduction of another year of universal preschool will enable us to do more with, to be able to express professionally what we think is important. The other thing about today that's very exciting for me is it brings me back to our um, or my vision for this organisation, which is that we will be a leading learning organisation where people know that really We will be leading because I think we have all the attributes in this jurisdiction to lead the country in this area, to lead the country as an education system. We've always had a great reputation as being a leading education system, but we're being scrutinised. People are asking questions about with all the assets and the advantages that we have, are we getting the best outcomes for our children? <coughs> learning, because that's our core business. Everything about us is learning. And learning because we know that all the high-performing systems across the globe invest in their educators. They empower their educators to continuously learn and be better at their professional expression. When people know they really matter, 
this organisation is accessible and they that sounds like a cliche. Um, but 98% of our funding in this organisation, capital aside, uh, the current funding goes to pay the salaries of the people that make up what education is. So we do really, in everything we do every day, the decisions you make every day, we to know what outcomes are. And what we're doing with that in translation in our strategic plan is that we will be increasingly investing in our professional educators and all our other staff that support our schools to work well. And this is the state of that. So today is really the first in a suite of what you're going to see more of. I won't steal Kate's thunder, but she's going to outline for you um, what a whole series of events and opportunities that will be tailored and targeted towards you as a public and educational professional uh, group. Um, to support you to re-engage with your profession, to connect, to build communities of learning and practice, and to be part of and contribute to this exciting year as we work our way forward um, to this investment in early childhood. Thank you for listening to me today, and I, um, I, I hope you take advantage of uh, all of those exhibits at the back. They look really fascinating. I'm going to have a look myself shortly, but. Um, you know, that's again the first step towards making connections with important partners uh, in the work that we do, um, building relationships with others outside of education, seeing what they have to offer, talking to them about their perspectives, um, and it's great to see them all here too, so um, I hope you enjoy that. And you know, this room will be full again, is it tomorrow? Tomorrow, yes. Uh, with uh, just as many people as you're coming uh, in for the second session, uh, the second more people is tomorrow.
here, we know difference. So it's very good. Close the doors and let's talk turkey. So um, it is really fantastic to be here and great to be here on your first day. My brother has just come into the world of early of, of school of teaching and school life because he was a town planner and then he saw the light. And now he has come to be a primary school teacher in Mount Isa. And yesterday was his first day with four with grade fours in Mount Isa at Happy Valley Primary. And I rang him up last night and went, Welcome. <laughs> so it's so fantastic and I feel like um, a family of people gather together on these first days across Australia as we welcome children back into the early, early childhood spaces in schools across the country. Um, this is an opportunity to uh, regroup and rethink and reimagine and to, to uh, if you like, set the tone for a conversation around the early years learning framework and our early years practice in the ACT. And I'm with you, Natalie. I'd like to see you lead the way um, in a big conversation across the nation around the way that the early years learning framework has brought us this far, 10 years. For those people who haven't been around in this space for 10 years, you'd be going, oh, I didn't know any different. But there are some of us in this room who've been working for 30 years. Who's in the 30 year plus bracket? Now, you know, own it, own it, right? <laughs> um, I, I feel like ancient, but anyway, um, it, is, it is extraordinary to see how far we've come. And I think it's a really fantastic opportunity to sort of pause for a second and think about what has gone on over that time, the achievements, the things that we've really got our head around and the things that we still need to grapple with, and then to also do some thinking about where else we could go, what else is possible, so that we can offer exemplary early childhood education to the children in this community. Uh, just to get us started, uh, I'd like to ground this conversation in reflective practice. You know, of course, that uh, reflective practice is a really critical part of the work educators do across the education space, across the globe, the better the reflection, the more effective our practice can be so that we in fact learn from our experience as educators when we engage with children. The, it was also absolutely worth noting that critical reflection is now a, an exceeding theme in the National Quality Standard and there is quite a number of conversations happening in social media around kitchen tables and in early childhood settings all around the country about how we actually manage to do that and what that looks like. So it's important, I think, that we ground this conversation. Indeed, an idea coming out of the Early Years Learning Framework initially and adopted across into a whole raft of ideas around early childhood that we sort of grounded in that conversation. But to do that, I, I want to invite you to have a bit of a think about yourself. I'm just going to do a little bit of shuffling over here. It's probably a clicker somewhere. No, it doesn't work. Oh, here. I can hear clicker. There's a heavy clicker. So in the first instance, I want to, as I said, round this conversation in reflection, but I want to invite you to think about yourself as a thinker. I know it's sort of weird in the afternoon on a Thursday to think about yourself as a thinker, but you know, we'll, we'll go with it. Um, and it's, it's an important conversation to have with yourself as you engage in a year's worth of work with children, because it's about engaging a, a thinking mindset to undertake this work as the pursuit of people who are deeply intellectually engaged, as well as, of course, emotionally engaged with the children and families that we work with, but to encourage our colleagues to also join with us in a thinking process. Um, many of you will have deeply realised that this is now a thinking person's pursuit, this early childhood education business. It is not something you can just do, and it's not something you can just learn once and you know not worry about it after that. It's an ongoing thinking process. And increasingly, um, from, from the inspiration of people like Donald Sean, who, who talked initially about the idea of reflective practice for, for, for professionals, 
and in, in, and John Dewey, some of you go, oh yes, remember him from when I did book learning. Um, that all the thinking around reflective practices has told us that it's really helpful if there's a suite of thinking approaches. And I want to propose to you that uh, an effective early childhood education community thinks in three different ways. And as I'm talking, I want you to have a think about yourself. Which one are you? And importantly, for the purpose of this conversation and our conversations as we move forward this afternoon and the rest of this year, is where you need to do your better work. You know, to go, I need to do better in my thinking in this space. So let me share them with you. The first is technical thinking. Now these are the people, I'm sure there's some of them here, you know the regulations really well. Like you can quote me numbers and you've got um, 153B type of thing. Or you know policies and procedures and you do like, you know, you are a technical thinker in the sense that you like to find out exactly what happened. Like what was going on that day, who was doing what, how many children were there. They're the people that you start, when you talk to your early intervention team over here, hello lovely people from ACT support. Yes, okay, there we are. Um, you, you can talk to them about exactly when that behaviour took place and who was there and what time it was and what they were probably wearing, you know? It's amazing. You've got a really technical brain. You're trying to find out exactly what happened so you can control it the next time, right? Now, some of you go, well, yeah, that's me. That's definitely me. Technical thinkers. Um, we do need them because there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of expectation within this space to be able to think technically about important ideas about children and their well-being. <laughs> The practical thinker, and I have to fess up here and say this is me, I'm, I'm done with the vibe. I want to know that it feels okay and everyone's happy, you know? And really, I'm looking here for meaning making. I want it to be meaningful. I want, I want people to tell the Natalie story. I want that. That's what I want. You know, 50, when you're 56, to be able to look back and go, that's where I belong. And that's why the ideas in the early years learning framework of belonging, being, and becoming go straight to my practical heart. I think, yeah, see, I want that. So the meaning maker in me wants to make an early childhood education and care setting wherever it is the most meaningful it can be for the children and the family and indeed for all of the people who work there so that it is a meaningful place. Um, and in that sense also, they are trying to understand what event took place. They're going to try and dig deeper in there and go, What's, what happened? Why did that happen? What's going on here? So then you've got the critical thing you're a critical thinker because these people ask the hard questions. They are the people who challenge us to say, but what is going on behind the scene? Where is the bias? What is, why did that occur? And indeed, who, in whose best interest was that? Is this about which game are we playing here? Or they are the people who say things and everybody else goes, oh, Jack, <laughs> more complicated. Yes, it does. So, just in case you are not sure if you are, which, which one you are, I have to just quickly do the IKEA analogy just to help you. Um, so, everyone's been to IKEA. You have an IKEA here, don't you? Yes. <laughs> no? Click it, that even have no words. <laughs> and you read them before you take the packet out. 
right? You can probably look at, you probably count all of the spoons. Everyone gets, okay? <laughs> Technically, you are able to put the bookshelf together because you are attending to the details. You're trying to understand, you're trying to control the situation. Have to be married to someone like that? Very helpful. Um, I, on the other hand, am a practical thinker, so I'm just interested in the bookshelf at the end. Because I just want there to be a meaningful bookshelf that I can put a plant on and books and stuff. I just want there to be a bookshelf, you know? So I'm, I'm a meaning maker. I want there to be a rug and a nice place. You know, that's how I approach yeah. But in recent times, you know, because the world is as it is, and I'm hopefully a more socially just and aware person, I'm increasingly saying, how far did those black caps come? Who made those black caps? Is it actually a good thing that we chuck out um, IKEA furniture more and more and more? And on um, sidewalks you see, um, the IKEA furniture thrown away, is that okay? And I'm asking the big questions when I go in there and think, I don't know if this is all right. And my grandfather was a cabinet maker and his partner broke. So that's the critical thinker. In whose best interest is a black pack furniture? All right, quick to have a little chat to people next to you and claim the ground. <laughs> And 
that's where critical, critical reflection takes us and a critical thinker calls it out and says, not okay. And we hold our ground really boldly in that space. But we need everybody to be doing this. We need the people who are strong in this area to help out, the people who are not so strong in this area. And we also need to stretch ourselves so we can think in this way. So today, this little time we've got here, um, see if you can push yourself into the areas that you think you're not so crash hot in and also use the strengths that you have in those particular domains. So uh, as Natalie has said today, um, it's an opportunity, and Kate has said, it's an opportunity to, to think back and reflect about the early years learning framework and where it positions you in terms of transforming the practice in the early childhood space here in the ACT. Um, I'm heartened by the travels that I make all around Australia listening and talking to early childhood educators. And I want you to know very clearly that some of the dilemmas and stresses and tensions you have in terms of the work you do, as well as some of the joys, are widely shared by our colleagues across Australia. In fact, that's probably one of the most remarkable things that have happened under the reform agenda that started with um, the Early Years Learning Framework and that whole process, is that for the first time in Australia's history, we could have shared conversations around Australia. So that I could go to Darwin and I could talk to people about early years learning framework, but they got what we were talking about. So we had this big collegial sense, and I think that's incredibly exciting, and it helps us to be able to speak a language very clearly to the community that we're working in, our colleagues in primary and secondary education, and indeed governments. So today I want to thank you very much, Michelle. Um, I want to um, also talk today uh, about the Early Years Learning Framework, but grounded in also the guiding principles of the National Quality Standard, which Quality Framework, which of course you know and love. Everyone know now. No, no. I want to, to claim these as our own before they were the National Quality Frameworks. Um, often we we arrive at places and read this in a document like that and think, oh, isn't that interesting? These have arrived, but remember you had them before they got to the National Quality Framework, they're ours. And we can own them really strongly, and they are bold statements about what we expect. So if you haven't reconnected with that, and those big ideas, then I encourage you to do so. And one that I will particularly point out in today's conversation is that best practice is expected in the provision of education and care services. It is about stepping up into a new space, but reimagining things and revisiting things because we indeed expect the best of the work that we do with children and their families across Australia. So if you haven't connected with those in recent times, reconnect them, get them out, put them up somewhere, claim them, talk about them, because this indeed, as much as you also have your, each other's backs, this has your back in terms of the way that we work with each other and in our practice. Thank you, Michelle. The other thing that's important to say before we keep going is that there will be an action plan at the end of this because I'm one for thinking about what's going to happen after this. Because it's all very well us sitting together and catching up and having a lovely conversation and great afternoon tea, but it's very important that our meeting here actually has an impact on the lives of the children and families that you work with. So as we talk today, you might have a little idea that floats into your head and if you do, hold on to it, write it down somewhere, make a note of it because as we move into the action plan, there'll be an opportunity for you to note those things down and work together in your teams uh, with each other to decide what it is that you will do as a result of today. So, here's what we're gonna do in the first instance, in this time, um, first part of today. Uh, we're gonna have a bit of a think back about um, the early Islamic framework. And um, it's a fantastic, when I was talking to Michelle about this, whenever we started talking about this event, um, I, I really felt that there was an opportunity for us to do some collective reflective thinking around the state of play in terms of the early years learning framework, but to 
examine it from a, a couple of different perspectives. I want to share with you some ideas about the early years learning framework and some thinking around that that I've done that I've also been a part of in terms of the conversations around Australia. But I want to invite you to have this conversation with each other too because before we leap off into new things and new ideas, it is helpful to pause and look back. Now, um, who, who's, is anyone sitting here whose first year it is in early childhood education? That's a very, very timid hand. <laughs> One, just two, two, three, three. Welcome. Welcome. It's fantastic to have you here. Now, of course, we don't know any different here, so you're going to have to listen carefully to your peeps around your table and hear what they have to say, or you can just see and hear what you've, what you've heard around the place. But this is a reflective exercise for those of you who've been a part of this conversation for some time or who've joined it at any part of the conversation around the early learning framework so far. So here's, here's my thinking, um, my provocations to you, um, and you are welcome in a spirit of collegiality to agree or fiercely disagree, as we like in a robust debate, and think about whether these ideas resonate for you, and I'll give you an opportunity to have a chat about them. So here we go. Um, remember him? Do? Kevin 07? Remember him? Now, those of you who were around at the time, around this whole Kevin 07 moment, um, I, I felt we, we thought we had a moment in the sun. And I think there was a little time when we went, oh my God, we're on the national agenda. It's so too loudly. So it was pretty extraordinary. I've been, well, I've been working for 20 years before this arrived. And I felt at times we were trying to find solace, a pedagogical solace, in the words of the regulations. Like, you can't find it there. And a lot of us were going out in fine places. We were looking across the ditch to our colleagues in, whichever way it is, uh, New Zealand, uh, in, in the words of the uh, Tebariki. And we were like envious of them because they had stuff and we didn't. And then there were other states and territories also doing some interesting things. And in Victoria, we looked to South Australia because they were doing some stuff. And finally, we got this moment. Now, one of the things I think is most particularly important here, apart from that we've got national conversations, prime ministers talking about early childhood, is that I think for the first time, we could agree or disagree, we realised that early childhood education is political. Just so you know, just be clear. Which means we've got to be also politically clear and politically aware. I'm not talking <coughs> big picture Labour Party, probably you know, la la la, you know, Liberal Party, whatever. I mean politically of the people, conversations and debates with our bureaucrats and our politicians and our communities about the state of early childhood education in Australia. And we can't abdicate ourselves out of that. We've got to be part of that. And it can't be somebody else's job to talk about that. It's ours. And we've got to learn to grow a backbone and speak in eloquent ways to each other. I don't mean necessarily get up the front and talk like this, but in any way you can, at parties to your 80-year-old aunt, talk up what early childhood education is because we haven't got Kevin 07s all over the place. And we need to find allies and people who will talk up what this word, what this is. Just tell a little anecdote about this. Sam Page, who's the CEO of Early Childhood Australia, came back from one of her, uh, one of, uh, a meeting, the UNESCO meeting, talking about early childhood. And she met some senior bureaucrats from the United States. And one of them, Sharon Lee Hagen, a pretty extraordinary woman, talked a lot about her work in, in the bureaucrat, bureaucratic world in the United States. And in one of the conversations she had, she was talking about how come Barack Obama was such an advocate of early childhood. She said, it started 30 years ago. 
because an early childhood teacher got in his ear. Um, a long, long time ago, before he was a politician, you convinced him a long time ago, people like you, that early childhood education mattered. You have no idea who the people are that you talk to every day who can take the ideas of early childhood into the community at large. And that means that the conversation you have, when are your children coming back? The conversations you have with the parents who arrive on Monday matter. And matter because we want to help make sure that families understand the work you do and it's not a mystery. The principals you work with, the other educators you work with. So that moment in the sun is when I think we realised early childhood education was political. No one told me that before then. My guys, there's a mystery. When I did my pre-service education, it was not a, not a, we didn't talk about that at all. I just thought everyone would got, got what we did and would fund us accordingly. <laughs> not naive. <laughs> so we need to be part of that conversation. So that's the first thing. There's a landmark decision. I'm optimistic that we'll have some more of those, but not if we don't keep talking about how important we are and feel that we have each other's backs in that conversation. The second thing I want to propose to you in terms of the early years learning framework is a fundamental idea about the early years learning framework. Now, lots of you know this, but I think we still haven't quite cracked this in a conversation out there in the education sector. It's a framework, not a curriculum. Let's be really clear about this. And I think this is one of the potential sticking points for our relationship sometimes with our colleagues in the early years of school, is that what we have is a framework, not a curriculum. Now, can I just clarify? The, the framework and the house is something that um, we used as an analogy when we did the first tour of the early, like we went on tour, the word show. We went on tour around Australia talking about the early years learning framework in 2009. Um, I went to extraordinary places like Geraldton, and, you know, amazing Mount, you know, uh, Mackay, and places like that, to talk about the early years learning framework. And this is one of the things we, should, we talked about then. The, the early years learning framework um, was designed to be a framework that you then populated with a curriculum. You were the people that designed the individual curriculum what you are teaching decisions. There has been and will continue to be critique of the early years learning framework because it doesn't have enough, enough what's in it. What are you teaching? And I've had lots of conversations with educators to say, well then, if the outcomes are these, then what exactly are we teaching? <coughs> what is the what part? Now the framework doesn't have that in it. It has outcomes, it has practices, it has principles, it has a vision. But no what, no list of what's that go on with the corresponding outcomes. You are curriculum decision makers in that space. Now, in some ways it's liberating, because you think, oh, I can, you know, I've got colleagues at the moment who are in a long day setting in King Lake in Victoria, have for the last 10 years, in February it will be the 10 year anniversary of the devastating bushfires in the, in the um, King Lake area, <coughs> over 300 people lost their lives. And I can tell you that bushfire is in their curriculum, well and truly, because it is now a critical part of the curriculum they design. There is no such thing as a, as a bushfire section in the EYLF. <laughs> But there's no such thing as a snake section in the uh, EYLF, but I can tell you that the Child Education and Care Service at Yalara, at Uluru, has snakes on their curriculum. That's because you are liberated to be able to decide what curriculum you will do, you will do within the framework of the, of the Early Years Learning Framework. That's a two-edged sword, though, because at some point it's also a little time bit scary. Because 
in a, in a vacuum, sometimes other things come into it. You go, hold on a second, how come we're teaching that? Or hold on, why are we doing that? Because it's a framework, things creep in. And it's a very interesting thing but for you because you're in a school setting, so there are complexities around it being a framework, not a curriculum. Important conversation to be had. Some of us have got our head around that, some not so much, and I think there are some forces at work sometimes which make that space very difficult. Sometimes incredibly liberating because off you go with bushfire or beach or wherever you are. The next thing to consider in this conversation, thank you very much, Michelle, is that the early years learning framework, for those of you who've been around a little while and for those of you who relatively recently have come into the picture, hello and welcome, um, you, it's good for you to know that the early years learning framework, I believe, was both challenging and affirming. Some people who read the early years learning program when it first came out, we said, oh, goodness, like, why are, I was already doing that. You know, like that whole, oh, that's way heavier, you know, really good. And it, it felt like we were coming home. But there were significant things in the early years learning program that rocked people's world. And I think that continues to be the case. It is interesting to know what you think those are. I'm, I'm putting the bid in, this is what I think they are. I think the things that were affirming was that the relationships with children and their families were still fundamental. And if I'm going to sort of hold on to anything as we move forward, we must keep the relationship, the relational view of pedagogy, pedagogy as relationship, a fundamental part of what we do. And I think it affirmed that relationship that you were cultivating and it set that up as a fundamental reference point for the development of curriculum. I think our environments, to a large extent, were good and have increasingly got better. And I think some of the creative people sitting in the room here found affirmation in that space because environments were understood as the third teacher. And we said, off you go. Which is why some of you who go into early childhood spaces and don't see an environment that looks amazing and cultivates curiosity, your heart breaks a bit. And it's also why we are a bit like we love Pinterest. <laughs> Mental note to self though. If Pinterest does not lie, all answers to environment, just so you know. Um, but it is, it, we do have a, a, a really uh, strong bent in that space. I think we do enjoy that. Um, it is an interesting conversation to sort of imagine what else, that might, what else might be in that space. And I think increasingly partnerships were understood. Those people who are having significant partnerships with um, the community, um, early intervention professionals, the school community, the community more broadly, the you know the bowling club next door, the parents, you know, this whole partnership thing was very affirming. The things that I think were challenging to us, and again you can disagree or agree, is the um, the introduction of the term intentional teaching, where we all have a little you know, little moments of like, oh my goodness, does that mean push down curriculum? Or does that mean like we're all gonna do worksheets? Um, and I think we continue to be quite challenged by intentional teaching, particularly because where there's a real tension here between children's interests and the idea of intentional teaching. I'm not sure we've got our head around that, I'm gonna talk about that some more. The whole idea of reflection, because people are going, what are we reflecting about? Where is, how do you write it down? What is this thing called reflection? There's a whole lot of you who are already doing it, you do it in the shower, you do it at three o'clock in the morning. But you, there's this whole idea of formalizing that practice and also asking people to challenge themselves in the taken for granted practice. That space is really hard because I'm guilty. I'll put my hand up straight away because I remember times where I just did things because that's how it was done. That's how we always do it. That's just the way it is. And that leads to a conversation about 
or we always use litter, or we always do Valentine's Day, or, but we, we always, you know, I'm, I'm, this doesn't really happen now, but we don't let children pour their own drinks until third term.
fundamental ideas in assessing children's learning, tracking the distance travelled, which we find really challenging. Next idea. The EYLF, I think, has given some people permission to do extraordinary things. Now, if you've been around for a while in early childhood, you might have been doing this in the 80s. But I think we lost our mojo there for a while and we got freaked out and we never took children outside the building. But I, I have been absolutely blown away by some of the amazing practice. I just want to share with you, um, this is a picture of the children at Wambara Beach, a very rugged beach on the coast of New South Wales. This is Wambara Preschool, KU service. They take children out into that um, beach on a weekly basis and those children now are working alongside the ranger and they analyse the data coming through about what the tide is doing and they look at that and they make decisions about whether it's safe to play there and they are now champions. And I feel optimistic for the future if those children are looking after that beach. But 100 years ago when I started early childhood, I'd be freaked out wouldn't take them. And I think there are some extraordinary people going on, practice going on. Those pinch pots are a good example. So he has given people permission to do some amazing things and potentially that's you. The question is what extraordinary things um, have we done? And here's just one more little extraordinary story which I have to like, weave into the mix. This is a group of children who on one of their weekly walks in the community, not going on a bus, going on a community walk, um, with, their four year, with their early childhood teacher, these are four year olds, this is in Fitzroy, came across a sign on a, um, on a fence that said something like, um, the, I planted plants, this is a message from the owner, I planted plants here and someone stole them. Now the children were quite captivated by the fact that there was a sign there that said, someone stole my plants and I'm very sad. And the children said, well, what should we do? And because as an early childhood educator, who knew what they were talking about, she said, well, I don't know, what should we do? You decide, what should we do? And they said, well, we should go to Bunnies and we should buy some. And she said, okay. So they went off, they bought the, the plants at Bunnies and they came back and they planted the plants in this person's front yard because they felt the injustice of someone daring to steal plants out of someone's yard, make them the prime minister. Um, and the whole idea of this grew legs and momentum, so much so that the neighbour then planted a new story to say that the children from East West Children's Centre have um, transformed her world by coming and planting plants. Now, if you cannot think that children have agency and capacity to change the world in which they live, then this is the mission through the early years learning from it because of the outcome in community to be able to do such a thing. And if we're really clever, we can measure it. And we can say what the impact is of that in some of the documentation that we create. Very powerful story. I could wax a little about it for hours, but I'm not going to. But permission to be transformed. <coughs> Permission to transform. And some of you have had latent transformation <coughs> sitting in you for a long time, and the early years learning from it came along and you went, thank goodness, I can now do that. And some of you potentially have let some of that mojo slip. So it's time to refine that. Thank you very much, Michelle. And um, I think the other thing is that there are depths to be mined in the early years learning framework. If your coffee doesn't look ragged and has a few coffee stains on it, then you're not treating it well. So get it back out again, use it all the time, reread it and reread it and reread it because every time you go back in there, there are more readings to be done. And there, of course, are materials that support that behind the scenes and other documents, including the bibliography that actually generated that in the first place. 
So if you haven't read the references at the end of the Early Years Learning Framework, start there. And if you have gone straight to the outcomes, page 17, time to read it from the beginning because that's all about you and the work that we do. There are depths to be mined. There are things that we still haven't done yet in terms of the depth of practice. And my last thing is that I think we're never going back. I think we've come too far in this journey and unless we keep talking to each other about never going back, then I think sometimes we'll lose some traction, lose some ground. I had a really interesting conversation with a Certificate three qualified early childhood educator um, when we had a change of government somewhere along the line. And she said to me, does it mean, we won't, does it mean we'll go back? <laughs> does it mean we'll lose all the things we can do now? Like we do all these really good things, does it mean they'll all go? And I went, oh no, no, no. She said, oh thank goodness, she said, because I'm not going back. <laughs> and I said, great. And I, and I do believe that irrespective of some of the, the conversations that happen in the you know, political world, I think there's a momentum around the work that we do across, the, across Australia around the Early Years Learning Framework that says we have come too far now. And the conversations around powerful outcomes for children and practices for early childhood educators, the principles that guide us, are too far gone. And in fact, we're not prepared to go back. So this is about holding our ground and making sure that we're really clear about that and encouraging the people around us also to hold the line because this is a really important, powerful conversation. What I want to do now is invite you to have a thinking back conversation. To talk to each other about, do you agree with what I've said? Do you feel transformed? Do you think there are some challenges out there that still have not yet to be sorted out? Are there, have there been opportunities where you have been able to populate the curriculum because there's a frame and, and it's, not a, it's not a curriculum, it's a framework? Or has there been challenges in all of that? And, and what do you think about the landscape of the conversations that happen with the people that you're part of? I have a couple of questions to help that conversation move forward. Oh, there we go, next slide. There we go. So in your <coughs> table conversations, and again, this is the time, if you feel like you want to go and spy on somebody else's conversations because you're sitting with your peeps and you feel like, oh, no, I don't want to talk to them, I want to go and talk to them. So go and you know, have a little chat with other people. What has been your experience of the implementation of the EYLF? Has it been a powerfully rich experience or do you feel like it's been a battle? Um, do you feel like you've had to hold your ground really strongly? Um, one idea is the things that I've just said resonate particularly. Is there something that you think, yes, that's absolutely been the case for me? Challenges, why? Um, games, I'm interested in the games, um, things that you think you might want to celebrate, the transformational experience, and importantly, in a reflective space, what are the lessons that have been learned? I invite you to have a conversation about that. Go on. I've gone around the room, which is very exciting to hear. Um, I think lots of you feel very strongly that you've held the ground, you know, that you've you feel, felt that really you've been an advocate in that space and really trying to promote those conversations in the places that you're in. I think for some of you, it is still challenging to be an advocate in your spaces and to be able to sell ideas and to communicate ideas to uh, the powers that be, so to speak, and that at times that feels a little bit isolated and a bit problematic. But I have also heard that the liberating idea of being um, in, a, in a framework space rather than a curriculum is really exciting and some of you have been able to do extraordinary things. I wonder if anybody, and this is a chance to dob someone in, if you thought that they said something very intelligent that you think everybody else needs to hear. Um, anybody wants to say something in relation to their idea, something that particularly resonated with them, something that they thought, actually, I want to say this in terms of where I'm up to, or in the cone of silence, 
say, I want to say something in terms of where I think the um, the lie of the land is. Does anybody feel the need to have a chat about that and tell us what they think? Come on, be brave. Code of science, without peeps. Come on. No, not a single soul. Come on. It was good to have a document. Okay, hold on, wait, wait, wait. She's going to start the... Go. Can you say who you are? So, oh, sorry. My name's Simone and I work at the Um At the time this came out, I was in ACD Government Preschools, obviously, and it was just so good to have, like, physically have a document that you can actually refer to, um, I guess, when people challenged some of your practice and what you were doing. And... Um, I guess I'll leave it at that. Yep. So, an advocacy. But it was an advocacy tool. Yes. Yes. See, it's real. I'm not just making this up. See? I'm not making it up. Here we go. And can you again tell us who you are? Sharon Bellows, Gary Preschool, slash primary school. I guess we're talking about here about educating our parents and just really working with our parents, letting them know why we're doing what we're doing putting little newsletter items together or through Seesaw or whatever um, venue, avenue you have to um, educate them so that they're on the journey with us as opposed to being against us. Yes. So we just thought that very uh, important. Uh, do you think that families sometimes are not on the same page as you? Uh, I think that, that against um, is a bold word. I think sometimes they believe that we should be teaching them to read and write and we're uh, doing that. Um, so, yeah, there might be a few other communities that would be the same as ours. Um, but if they're on the journey with us um, and are educated, that's, I guess that's our job. And, and the, the critical the critical thinker in me, here we go, I'm going to be prov provocative, is I, I think sometimes the word educated is problematic there. Um, because, in fact, the, the early years learning framework is built on a platform, the framework itself is built on a platform that acknowledges parents as their child's first teacher. So, if we could take that word and move it around a bit, and I agree with you entirely about working with them, and the exceeding themes that now are a part of the landscape of national quality standards ask us to be to shape our practice by our meaningful engagement with families. So we've got the end there. Some of you are deeply engaged with your families, but now we are asking you to shape your practice based on that. So indeed, I, I'm guilty of this. I remember distinctly when families would come to me. I worked in very disadvantaged communities where families had high aspirations for their children's literacy and numeracy. They would come to me, should I mean Sharon? They would come to me and say, you know, Sharon, I want my child to read and write. You know, like, could you please deliver that? Why? Because they had high aspirations. They wanted their children's lives to be better than theirs. And they were very vocal and very clear to me about that because their schooling, their own schooling was interrupted. So this is the critical thinker about where, where do these messages come from? What are, what are parents Googling at three o'clock in the morning and finding out all the stuff that they have to do? They're probably reading something that says the pizza results are terrible and therefore they're gonna get in early. Um, so I don't care who you are, you're getting a lot of messages to say, interesting, you receive, can I quickly get, yeah, get across the line? And then and before they're two. Um, and I think sometimes when we hear that from families, and I did it, I went, I don't know, we don't do that here. Mistake. Because I think what happened then is that we were then um, positioned as opposite. In fact, I think increasingly when I hear early childhood educators receive that information, they say, great, we want children to be literate too. Same page. Thank you for that. Because we, we agree with you. Reading and writing is critical. No? We're, we're up to that. Let me tell you, let me 
ways we do that. And that, that is less education, more engagement. And I think increasingly, we're going to see early childhood educators in an assessment space, in a planning space, deliberately, purposefully, very intentionally, using that intentionality idea, going to families and saying, what do you want for your children in this early childhood education space? Talk to me about your goals. Now, our colleagues in long day settings with very young children, I used to be doing, uh, doing this for 100 years, they've been asking um, parents at, of toddlers, um, talk about your, you know, what you like with your children, and often parents will say, I want them to be toilet trained. You know, there's really important things that they've got aspirations for their children. I think we've got to be very deliberate about that process. And then, once we gather that data, read it and note it, and then embed it in the curriculum. Because I swear, if, if all the families say to us that literacy and numeracy is important, we've got to go, thank you very much, Sharon. I'll take that. And now I'm going to create a, a rich literacy and numeracy environment. And I will be able to show how pedagogically sound those responses are. I think it's about a sophisticated response to that so we can help families come along. I agree with you entirely. I feel like for a long time we thought that families would just get it. But I'm, I'm not sure that is the case. And we have to have much more robust conversations, which is why assessment for children's learning, where we have summative summaries, you know, um, summary conversations about how children have learned and grown over the period of time, is very powerful for families if you let them into that space and you draw them into a conversation about how their children have learned and grown over the over a period of time, that distance travel. I'm just conscious of time because morning afternoon tea, it is afternoon, isn't it? <laughs> afternoon tea awaits. But I'll just tell you a story about that, um, uh, which just uh, sticks with me, and I think these are these pivotal moments in our education practice. Um, a little, um, a, an early childhood service that I know who, were, who, who operate in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, a place that I knew well, I got my first teaching jobs there, managed an early childhood service there. Um, we have a transition statement um, process for um, children moving from early childhood education into the beginning years of school in Victoria. It's a compulsory document for all four-year-olds as they enter into the school system. And, um, a, a little boy um, who was at that um, early childhood service and got his transition statement. Um, he uh, he is uh, his first language is Turkish, and he was brought every day to the kindergarten by his grandmother, who spoke only Turkish. And uh, he would be picked up, and you know there was sort of a little bit of interaction between the educators and uh, his grandmother. And over the course of the year, um, she sort of hovered. You know, she didn't really come in or anything, and didn't participate much. They had a bit to do with their mum, his mum and dad, but they were um, working full time. And over the course of that year, um, this little this little boy was was very engaged in um, drawing uh, police cars because his dad watched the Turkish um, via you know via satellite whatever uh, online. Um, he watched the Turkish um, police shows. Right, it was really into them, and he watched them with his son, and his son drew lots of them. And his uh, Turkish police car became much more sophisticated over time. You know, they had all their features. And uh, including being able to write the word polis on the side and also be able to say there's a Turkish one and that's an Australian one, like know the difference, and then be able to write police in one and polis on the other one, um, just so we know the difference, because it's important. And um, he, he would do this work and the educators were able to a story of uh, uh, the distance travelled by this little person over a year and his, his drawing of those police cars over time. Now, 
from a traditional perspective, perhaps that's not seen to be a measurement of, of um, learning and development, but you know it is. And they captured that in their summative assessment work in the transition statement and gave it to the, par to the parents. And uh, one of the parents rang up the, um, the centre and said, you, you'll, you, you cannot imagine how much this has meant to his grandmother. Because when she read it, including a picture of him drawing his Turkish police card, she thought it warmed the cockles of her heart so much that she felt that her son knew his Turkish identity and the impact on her was so great that she had to immediately get on the telephone and tell everybody in Turkey. Um, so, and apparently the transition statement has been sent to Turkey. So, um, but the impact of something like that in terms of collecting that information and then collecting the information at the beginning of the journey with families to say how important Turkish is to that family in terms of maintaining mother tongue, but also the journey of becoming literate and numerate for a potentially new arrival to Australia, and being able to show the distance travelled at the end is incredibly powerful. That's how we win hearts and minds. Because you know that Turkish grandmother? She's with us now. And you know who she's going to tell? <laughs> because she now understands um, that when she's, when she's at the doctor's and she's sitting next to her friend waiting for an appointment, she's going to go, if you, is your son in early childhood education again? Or your grandson? She should, you know, they should be there. Because she's now a true believer. But only through the conversations we can have about that distance travelled. And I think we should watch out for the champions that are out there. The conversation we've had now sets the scene, if you like, for what we're going to do after afternoon tea, um, whereby we say, okay, if that was the past, what's the future? Can you now make your way to afternoon tea, which is out there? It is. Um, Kate's just going to tell us a bit of information. Hopefully afternoon tea has arrived. When you come back at 2.30, please be on time. Can you sit in your school groups, your preschool groups? If you're here on your own, can you find a preschool that you're near so that you can talk to colleagues? And our exhibitors are here. They'll also be here when we finish. So don't feel you have to go there straight away. Thank you very much. Um, we are now walking around... Well, uh, we're just distributing some... Uh, action plans uh, for your consideration as we uh, take up the next half of the conversation today. Um, as I said at the beginning, we're keen to uh, invite you to think about what ideas might you know, be generative in this 2019, 10 years after the Early News Learning Framework has um, been in existence, and to give you a bit of an idea about how to map that into your everyday practice. Uh, mental note to self, those of you who are developing quality improvement plans, this can form part of your quality improvement plan, so important to double dip here. Um, one thing we did, um, I've, I've thought about in relation to that document is that you might want to put some measures in there, you know, how will you know when you're successful? So some of those sorts of things are important in terms of tracking your progress as you progress. Um, today is really a taster for that conversation as you move forward. So you might want to regroup with your team that you've um, brought come here today with. You might want to bring other people in who are not here today and um, recommence this similar conversation. I'm going to send you this PowerPoint presentation so you can have it. Um, and you'll have a podcast, of course. Uh, you can also uh, generate the same, same reflective conversation. First, to talk about what you have learnt, what the successes have been, what the challenges have been, that implementation of the Early Years Learning Framework, quality area one. 
um, your engagement with that, what are the things yet to be undertaken, and then to have a, another conversation using this action plan or even a modification of it if you want to, you can change it a little bit to suit your own individual needs. And then start planning for the, the pedagogical depth that we want to explore in 2019. Because as we have said, uh, it's an opportunity to be able to reframe the conversations around the early years learning framework and to deepen the level of pedagogy offered in your early childhood space. Uh, we're looking for exemplary practice in that, in that context. So, what we also have here uh, being delivered to you is a A3 version of the, um, the, the action plan and individual little ones if you want to start taking notes and ideas because we do want, uh, we're conscious of the fact that you know, a small document might not be enough for you to think together and we are going to give you a nice chunk of time to think about what some of those ideas might look like. So, um, just uh, bear with us as we hand out some of those as we progress. Um, so, welcome back to the next um, half of this conversation. I want to, um, before we um, head into talking about the ideas of the early years learning framework that we can explore further, that notion of we're not done exploring, um, I want to invite you to uh, think a bit philosophically for a moment. And I want to share with you this particular idea of threshold concepts. Now, some of you might be familiar with this term, but I have just recently encountered it in a conversation I had at a, at a forum I went to, uh, led by some pretty powerful early childhood researchers in the Australian landscape. And those people have um, received an ARC grant, so a quite significant <laughs> um, bucket of money to look at early childhood practice. And those people come from La Trobe University and the Australian Catholic University in Melbourne. Um, Sue Grishaber, um, Professor uh, Sue Grishaber, Professor um, Susie Edwards and uh, Professor Joss Nuttall are also are looking at this amongst other researchers um, to look at a whole range of things that are happening to children in terms of the digital world and um, exploring spaces in terms of pedagogy, practice and digital technologies, digital play. And in their uh, gathering of data, uh, they have um, started to have a conversation, which is sort of one of those byproducts of research. Sometimes things come out of research that, you are, that are unexpected. And as a byproduct of this research, they started to have a conversation with each other about the notion of threshold concepts. And one of the reasons they talked about this is that it became very clear in the, in the dialogue with early childhood professionals that there were some key ideas that we needed to know and be clear about in order to deliver early childhood education and care, and in order to consider ourselves early childhood professionals. Uh, it is reminiscent, interestingly, of the conversations that happened at the conclusion of the writing of the Early Years Learning Framework. Some of you might have tapped into this and heard it around the traps. But Jennifer Sumsian, who led the team, who developed the Early Years Learning Framework, for an extraordinary task, um, wrote an article after they wrote the pulling together of the Early Years Learning Framework, in some ways lamenting the fact that the Early Years Learning Framework discussion had highlighted the fact that at times we were not in fierce agreement about some of the big ideas that needed to be understood in early childhood education. One of them being play. So it's a fascinating um, notion to say, are we, what do we know about this? What's our understanding of these big ideas so that we can then promote them to families and communicate them and then enact them in everyday practice? Uh, and also you will see some of these ideas being, being um, uh, illuminated in the context of the National Quality Standard. So, in this investigation that these uh, professors were part of, 
they started to investigate this idea of threshold concepts. What, now, just let me bear with me as I figure out what threshold concepts are, because then, as soon as they started talking about it, I thought, oh, I don't really get what they're talking about. But then, I thought, okay, I get this, because it's like, once you know these things, there's no going back. So, once you're in this space as an early childhood professional, that's when you can really claim the early childhood <coughs> education and care territory. It's when you really are able to enact these ideas that make you an early childhood education service or make you an early childhood professional. They have characteristics though. They're not just any old bog standard idea. They are meaty ideas. Uh, ideas that take a long time to implement. They have a lot of tentacles. There's a lot of implications. If you go down this path, like the agency conversation, if you really embrace agency, there's no going back. You can't take it back. You can't give it and then go, I'm sorry, can't have it anymore. And it changes all the way the ways you think about things. In fact, some people might argue, I'll just, you know, this might help with your thinking, that, that there was a moment in time when you realised that children were capable, competent, and able to manage decisions in their own lives. And that image of the child that emerges out of the conversations in Regimilia changes everything. And I think some of our colleagues who work with children under the age of two are now realising this to a massive extent so that therefore there are children who are able to do amazing work, who are doing incredible things, and they're two. And if that's the case, then you've got to up the game because they're already doing it by the time they're two. So there's a whole lot of conversations about what's happening in the younger years that have impact on the way we do things um, potentially for three and four year olds. So the characteristics of a concept, of a threshold concept, if you're a Harry Potter fan, it's like going through the fourth key. Yeah? No Harry Potter fans, I'll see you in this room. I've read them all, but I need to meet you. Um, so it's going through this, this space and then, then being in a different place. So a, a, a threshold concept needs to be transformative. Once, you, once you're there, there's no going back. So you are changed. So you're changed as a result of, of embracing this idea. A threshold concept is troublesome. It causes you pain because you go, I don't get it half the time and how it doesn't work this time. And the, the idea agency is probably one of those that starts to trouble the waters. It makes people a little bit uncomfortable. How come those children can do that? Or what do they do? What are you doing living in the shed? You know, that type of thing. Um, they're irreversible. So that's again, um, you cannot go back to the territory you were in before. Um, they're integrative, so they work in conjunction with other ideas. They stick together. They they connect one part to the other, and one thing has an implication to another idea. They are bounded, very much for us in early childhood education across Australia. We are bounded by regulations, and we're bounded by the National Quality Standard and other bindings. Um, philosophies help to bind it, so there's, there's there's sort of spaces, if you like, territory that's marked out. They are discursive, so you can talk about them a lot. So if they're not a concept, a threshold concept, unless you can talk about it, tell a story about it, this, this definitely floats the early childhood boat. And a lovely new word in the dictionary you can use in a sentence later on, um, luminality. They have luminality. And in my thinking about this, of reading a little bit about it, luminality is, comes from the Latin word to mean um, entering into a, a fluid space when you're still learning about this idea. One could argue that EYLF is still in a, a, in a luminality phase. We are still in a phase of settling it down and bending it in. Now, some people might go, it's 10 years, Catherine, it's too long. 
but big things like this take a while to settle down and perhaps we um, want to re-enter the luminality space where we get to explore a bit more about things and reimagine and reconnect with those ideas. So, there is an argument in early childhood education borrowed from our colleagues in engineering and in, and surprisingly in physiotherapy who have embraced the, the threshold concept idea. Now, obviously in engineering, there's a couple of key threshold ideas you need to have in your head, otherwise buildings would fall down, right? Like gravity, something like that. You know, so there's really um, tension would be a threshold idea in engineering. Um, but we have different ideas. So let me just be clear with you about the way, if you want to apply a threshold concept or threshold idea to early childhood, it would be possible then to say, unless you go in, a, in your head, you're not an early childhood educator. Unless you are practicing them day in, day out with integrity, you cannot call yourself an early childhood educator. Bold statement. And, and, unless an early childhood education and care service, unless one of your, your services are practicing these fundamental threshold concepts, we are not an early childhood education and care service. So I want to propose to you that there are threshold concepts lying either dormant or very active within the context of the early years learning framework and then translated into the national quality standard. I want to give you a little moment there to talk about this with your colleagues. Firstly to say, what do you think about early childhood and threshold ideas? We've got them, are there, do they exist? Um, do you think it's worth a continuing conversation about what our agreed threshold ideas should be? And this would say, if you're not in, you're not in. You either believe in it or not, and we draw a line. And then, just a little conversation about what ideas do you think that come from the early years learning framework that you think are threshold? And I mean by threshold, once you're in, everything changes. No going back. Interconnected troublesome and cause us to need time to implement. Off you go. Before we start concluding, can you now talk to each other about which idea is going into your action plan? Start to get those ideas in your action plan. There should be one that has floated to the surface. Go.
and it allowed us to think and, and consider and reflect. So can you join with me please and thank you. Thank you. Now before you go, you've got two jobs to do. One is an individual job, which is filling in the little red sheet, which on it says your key takeaways, and the other side says something you would like to learn more about. Can I suggest that maybe you'd like to know a little bit more about one of those four um, concepts that we have just been learning about? We will collect those from you on your way out. Gina has a beautiful, what's it called Gina? Kuhlman. for you to put your red sheets in. The other job you have is to fill in this short sheet of the, um, the plan you've just done. Could you make sure you put your school name on the top? What is the threshold idea that you believe at this stage you would like to look at for the rest of this year? And also, what's your goal in that? Now with this information, we're going to be able to, one, reflect on how today went for all of you, but two, to start to plan for your professional learning for the remainder of this year, and how we might be able to get people together in um, professional learning communities where you can be helping and supporting and guiding each other through your development of your new learnings. So we really need you to give us that information. We'll be working throughout the year with you and also with your educational leaders and your principals. We're really hoping that our principals will be able to learn some of this information as well. And part of my reflection um, earlier was that as a principal, I know I've been the one who said, oh no, that's not what we do here. And I've shut that door in my early childhood educator space. And I want to make sure that we have that door open and that we have that door open for all of you in all of your schools. So part of our leadership strategy for this year is to engage with our principals and our educational leaders in our schools to make sure that we do that with you. So if you could fill those two things out for me, that would be fantastic.